welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Here today and gone tomorrow. But listen, I'm not going to do dad jokes tonight. Because... Because we had dad jokes with the men's group yesterday and they made me feel really bad because they made fun of me. So I went home with a little bit of inner hurt, but uh, I'll come to the altar tonight and get help. But, uh, so no dad jokes, but someone did stop me this morning and asked me what the fastest way to the centre of Adelaide was. And I said, are you walking or you're driving? And they said, I'm driving. I said, that's the fastest way. So <laughs> sorry about that. It is so good to be with you. We had a great time with the guys yesterday, and this is like being at home. And I want to say to you tonight that all over the world, the church is starting to look really nice. You see a group of boys that teenagers taken from Judah, which means praise, and I loved seeing those young people down the front tonight, were taken into Babylon and they were selected because they were good looking. They were healthy and they were strong. There was a time when I grew up in the church where the church wasn't so good looking. I was embarrassed to take my friends to church. I mean, I grew up in an Italian church, which made it a little harder until I went to Paradise Church. But the Italian church, you know, it was one of those sort of unusual kind of churches. They called my auntie the ambulance because every time she felt the presence of God, she'd go, So how are you going to bring your friends to church and explain that? And then every Wednesday night we'd have testimony time. And you know, the Italians, if they could speak a bit of English with a bit of an accent, it made them feel more educated. So we'd have testimony time before I give my life to Jesus. I drink one bottle of wine, I get drunk. Since I give my life to Jesus, I drink three bottles of wine before I get drunk. That was the testimony time. One Wednesday night, brand new Christian gets up. Hello, everybody. My name is Franco. Before I give my life to Jesus, I have trouble with the woman's. Holy Spirit come to me and say, Franco, you can looky, 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 but you cannot touchy, touchy, touchy. <laughs> How are you going to bring your friends to a church like that? My dad was the pastor. We used to hire an apostolic church in Gilbert Street. And they had the big railing at the front. And so people used to come for prayer. One night, one of my aunties was shaking the railing at the prayer time at the altar. We said, what are you doing? She said, leave me alone. I got the devil by the horns. I got the devil by the horns. So as a teenager, you think, I don't know if I want to bring my friends to church. But these three boys that came from the land of Judah were selected because they were healthy, they were strong, and they were good looking. God is raising a healthy church around the world. He's raising a strong church around the world. He's raising a church that is good looking. 
We can look at all the problems and certainly in my life and in my family's life, the last four years haven't been easy. For those of you that have been praying for us, I want to say a huge thank you. I'm glad tonight that you're here listening and still trusting the gift of God on our lives because sometimes stuff happens and you think, God, what was that all about? There's so many messages I'd love to preach tonight. We've just started a series in our church the last two days on the sovereignty of God. And God is sovereign and He's with us in all seasons. And tonight I want to encourage you with a message. First of all, I want to prophetically, quickly give you a picture of who you are. But then I want to give you a message on some choices that I've made in my life that have helped me stand here tonight. There are some choices you can make tonight you'll never have to make again. There are choices you can make tonight that you'll never have to regret. I also believe there are times or moments and there are places. There are moments and there are places. That youth camp, that meeting. You know, I've just traveled all over the world. And last year, again, as I was overseas, as I was asking God the question, God, do you still want me to do what I'm doing? Am I still called to do what you called me to do? And everywhere I went, in Paris, in Wales, in England, people would stop and say, 11 years ago when you spoke at that camp, God touched my life. All those years ago when this was said, I'm now living that dream. Moments and places. I have been praying for tonight. And I've been praying that this will be a moment and a place for many people in this room tonight. If Moses needed a burning bush, if the Apostle Paul needed a blinding light, if Isaiah of old needed to see a throne, I think there are moments where we need to have those moments and those places. And as I look back over the last 30 years of walking with God, sometimes when I don't have such a good day, I look back to those moments and those places. At the age of 13, in one of those little funny Italian prayer meetings, thinking, why do my mum and dad bring me to these things? Everybody was so old, they were all about 35. I mean, when you're 13, everybody's old. And I remember being in this prayer meeting, the room had all fogged up. Everybody's breathing heavy and the windows are all shut and they're speaking in tongues and having this wonderful prayer meeting. And I'm just thinking of the show on TV, I'm missing. My dad couldn't speak English, so I had to go everywhere as the sort of the sat nav for him, you know. And so I'm in the prayer meeting 13 years of age and I'm kneeling down and I'll remember it. I will never forget it till the day I die. I said, God, if you're real, I need to really know. See, I was really good. I used to go to, you know, my primary school with my Jesus badge on. But I was also the best dirty joke teller in the school. It's like you might as well be all friends to all men and be what everybody wants you to be. There was no conviction See, there's a lot of Christians of category today, not Christians of conviction. We can fill in the census form, what are you? I'm Buddhist, I'm Hindu, I'm Christian. But there's a difference between a Christian of category and a Christian of conviction. 
And at the age of 13, First Avenue St. Peter's Baptist Church. As we were in the prayer meeting at the age of 13, I had an encounter with God. I prayed that prayer. He baptised me in the Holy Spirit. I began to speak in a language I had never learned and went home that night and was awake nearly all night. At three in the morning, my mother comes into the room and she goes, you can stop now. You can go to sleep. I said, I don't want to lose it, mum. I don't want to lose it. Hey, guys, I haven't lost it. I haven't lost it. But... I got baptised in the Holy Spirit every Sunday night, 5DN. I'd take the radio and take it to bed and lay in bed and listen to the Billy Graham hour. I could tell you some of the sermons. And I didn't know a call of God was going to come on my life. And I can't tell you the whole story tonight. I will never get to my message. It's a long introduction. Shorter message. But you know, I'll never forget that night, First Avenue St. Peter's Baptist Church. A few weeks ago, we were having what we call a DNA class day or a patterns day. And I'm telling the story to the new people in our church. And a lady who's the mother of one of our staff, Johnny Toombs' mum, comes up to me afterwards. She goes, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. She goes, my dad was the pastor of that Baptist church. My sister is still there and she's still got the keys. Do you want to go back and have a look? So just recently, I haven't gone inside yet. We haven't done it yet. But recently, I had a card load of young people from our church. And we drove down First Avenue, St. Peter's. And I stopped and I said, in there. It happened in there. A moment and a place. I remember the time at Cuddly Creek. And some of you may not be aware that that is not anything but a name of a place. It's a campsite. Some of you will remember Cuddly Creek. And I remember I'd become a youth pastor and I'm standing at the altar and I'm praying for young people. I'm going, God, I've got nothing. I'm the new youth pastor and I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, God. And I remember this little voice inside my head, are you prepared to give me your nothing? Sometimes all we've got to give is nothing. Give that. And I started praying at the altar and nothing much was happening until I got to the last person at Cuddly Creek Camp. I'll never forget it. And when I got to the last person, Spirit of God hit the place and for the next two or three hours, God moved. And I felt God say, don't you ever, ever worry about what you start with. It's what you'll end up finishing with when you obey me and you take the steps that you need to take. It was a moment and a place. And tonight my prayer is that this will be a moment and a place. I was in Johannesburg about a year and a half ago, something like that. I was about to leave the airport. We're on the tarmac. And the Holy Spirit said to me something. And and by the way, the way the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's not an audible voice. If you're new today, it's not like a sort of, you know, Charlton Heston sort of voice from heaven. It's just those thoughts that don't go away that you would never come up with. Anything smarter than I can think of that comes into my head is probably God. So I'm on the tarmac. We're taking off and I get this urge to go and read in Proverbs chapter 31, the Proverbs 31 woman. And I thought, well, I'm on my way home. Maybe God just wants to give me a picture of my wife, Sharon, before I get home. 
So I go to the Proverbs 31 woman and as I start to read, and we haven't got time to go there tonight, but as I start to read Proverbs 31, read it in your own time, the Holy Spirit said it's not a woman. No woman on the planet could do what this woman does. Ladies, let me let you off the hook. I'm a snag, sensitive new age guy. You don't have to go and buy land the same day you do cooking, the same time you spin yarn, the same time you stay up till three o'clock. Ladies, don't worry. As I read the Proverbs 31 woman, he said, it's a picture of my church. And as I started to read about a church that is so powerful, please don't turn to it, but just let me just mention a couple of things out of the Proverbs 31 woman to show you who you are tonight. This is not just a new trendy church. God has chosen this house to be a representative of what He is building today for a new generation that's rising up. That is not just for young people. It's a church of generations working together. And tonight I deliberately turned around during the worship and I saw young people at the front and not so young. And as I look back, I see the generations represented here tonight. And I thank God this room is not full of people going, don't like the music. Don't like this. It's not about us. And as I go through the Proverbs 31 woman, it says, who can be found? Where could a woman like this be found? Hey, by the way, we are the wife of God. We're the bride of Christ, His church. And you won't find this kind of church on every corner. Not everybody wants to pay the price of the changes that need to be made. When we started making changes in our church, I started as the fourth member of the Trinity. I was one of the satanic angels a few months later. I later became right next to God. I mean, I just can't be that good and that bad all at the same time. People left our church because we're spending too much money on things. Then after it was all finished, they brought their friends and said, do you want to have a look at what we've built? I thought, Flip, you weren't even here when we did it. But that's all right. You can stay. It's okay. Who can be found a woman like this? It says she's of great value to her husband. She's trustworthy. She accelerates the work of God. She's passionate. She's structured. She's entrepreneurial. She goes the extra mile. She's got a heart for the broken, maybe India. She's a great steward. She does things with excellence. And it says, and her community will thank her for the work that she does. That's a good wife. But... The church is only the sum total of every individual person called the church. I'm the church. A policeman in Wales during the Welsh revival is driving, uh, is standing conducting traffic and a car comes by. The guy winds down the window and said, can you please direct me to the revival? And the policeman standing there says, inside this uniform. Inside this uniform. You see, I am the church. You are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. And so because we are the church, how do we keep going through the good seasons and the bad seasons? How do we keep going? And I am so deeply moved 
by the people God's put in my life. Jonathan Fontana Rosa is with me tonight. He's my spiritual son. And to watch a younger son in Christ and the team around him journey with Sharon and I through some of the darkest hours in the last three or four years. And I'm glad tonight that he doesn't stand with suspicion. He doesn't stand with gossip. He doesn't stand with insecurity, but he stands with faith that our God is good all the time. And I want to tell you, friends, I can't tell you that stuff won't happen. If you would have told me a few years ago that I would get a phone call from one of my children to tell me that they had cancer, I would have never dreamt it because at the age of 50, I had a 50th birthday party where prophecies started coming from everywhere. Danny, your best years are in front of you. Sitting in a restaurant watching three of my kids get up and talk about their dad and I felt like a millionaire because my kids were honouring me and I was crying and they were crying and I was in a room with my best friends. I thought our life could not get better than this to only 14 days later receive a phone call that turned my life from colour to black and white. I had all this colour in my life. Wow, aren't I so blessed? Oh, the favour of God. And then all of a sudden, Dad, I'm dying. I can't tell you the whole story tonight other than to go through two solid years of thinking about a funeral every day. What happens if my son dies? How are we going to cope? How are we going to contain ourselves as a family? How are we going to preach? And then two years later to find out that it was an emotional and mental brokenness that the story wasn't even true. But Danny and Sharon lived with cancer for two years. Got to understand that. We didn't live knowing that the situation was the way it ended up being. And so you go to church and worship and then go home and go, do I believe what we've just done? Is it ritual or is it real? Then to be confronted with the story and the media on your doorstep for 11 days straight. Couldn't leave our home at times and going, God, what's going on? And then to go and visit your child in a mental institution part of Flinders Hospital mental institution area at the back of the hospital. To walk into a psychiatric ward, watching a lady in her 80s swearing at the top of her voice because she's got Tourette's syndrome. To go round the corner to another room where there's a guy who's completely lost his brains playing a guitar with a glove on his hand stopping me and saying, do you want me to play mitten guitar for you? To having guards outside a room, to walk into this place that was so dark, so heavy, and then to take it in turns with my wife so we could go back to church and worship God. Friends, it wasn't easy, but I'm glad it's been worth it to hang on to Jesus. Worship took another, uh, another thing for me. No longer was it the three th- songs you sing before the preaching. 
When all this stuff happened, the only thing that would wash me was to stand in his presence and sing those songs and just let God wash over you. And I would sit there and think, God, what would people do who are not Christians? What would people do without a hope? And there was a lot I didn't understand. But there was a lot that I did. The way that the scriptures every morning would encourage me. The way that that phone call would come from overseas in the middle of the night saying, right now we're praying for you. What time is it in Australia? Two o'clock in the morning. This is the scripture we have for you, Danny. And I could tell you story after story, but what I want to share tonight is what helps you go through all this? A lot of choices I made before I went through all this. A lot of choices you make in the good seasons that will help you through the tough seasons. Choices. How many of you ever watched the movie I Am Sam? You know Sean Penn who's doing the part of a mentally challenged man who's got to raise a little girl. He gets a job in a Starbucks and every time someone would come and buy a drink, he would say, that's a wonderful choice. That's a wonderful choice. Well, as I look at my life, not all my choices have been wonderful. Even as Christians, we don't always make the right choices. Now, I don't want to make light of it, but there's a couple of choices in my life I wish I hadn't have made. They're not a real big deal, but they're worth sharing. I was 11 years old when I went with my dad every Saturday to Burnside to go and clean the house and do the gardening of one of Adelaide's richest doctors. I was only 11 and we'd ride our bikes and this particular day the doctor called me in. He said, Danny, I never had any children. My wife and I never had any children and you're like family to me and I want to give you a gift. He brings out this wonderful, beautiful, dark mahogany box You open the box up and it's got felt on the inside like a violin case. And inside was a brass microscope. His grandfather had brought out on a sailing ship to Adelaide as one of the top doctors in Adelaide. He said, I want to give you this treasure because I don't have children or grandchildren. And this is yours. I was at school at Paynham Primary School. I took my microscope to school and I swapped it for a bag of marbles. I swapped it for a bag of marbles. Not a good choice. I could be paying off my mortgage today. That could be in a museum today. I swapped it with a guy called Jerry Yanucci. He saw me coming. See, I played with it for a while. But, you know, after a few bits of sort of grass and nails, I didn't know what to do with it. One day I realised it was worth some money, so I went back to Jerry. I said, can we swap back again? I've still got the marbles. He said, no, I I chucked it away. You know, you laugh tonight and it's good, but listen, did you know this is a wonderful box with something that will enlarge your life, will illuminate your life, will transform your life, and we swap it for a bag of marbles. 
The world has got offers out there that look a lot more colourful than what this is. But at the end of the day, this is the treasure that will keep your life. Probably the other one was when I had a, probably a bit of pride in my life. I was youth pastor at Paradise and I used to love buying cars for everybody that wanted a car. There's probably people in this room that are victims of my car selling. And I remember saying to Ashley Evans, I've bought the bargain of my life the other day. I bought a VB Commodore V8. I said, it's an amazing car. It's an immaculate condition. I got it from a guy at Burnside Village. My friend Stuart Inkster talked me into it. I hope he's not here tonight. And, uh, you know, I bought this car for $7,000 V8, velour interior. And I said, Ashley, I know how to get a bargain. And then one day I took it to the car wash. And I didn't realise it came with a free swimming pool because the whole car filled up with water. We found out that the little old man I'd bought the car from at Burnside Village was a front for his son with a crooked crash repair business. The car had been cut in half and joined back together and the MTA, the Motor Transport Association in Adelaide, took it off the road. But I told everybody God had provided it for me, so now how am I going to explain so Ashley Evans took lots of jokes. He says, well, got you that time, you know, you thought you had a bargain. And then he turned around and came to visit me one night with a VL Commodore. And within a 24-hour period, we found out his had been a taxi. <laughs> and I said, that'll teach you for making fun of your friends when they go through a tough time. <laughs> Not a very good choice. And as Christians, we'll make some stupid choices from time to time. The house you shouldn't have bought. That car I was going to say, that wife you shouldn't have married. But no, no, that one there, you've got to stick with that choice. But can I just give you tonight the choices that I've made that I hope will bless you. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 29 or chapter 30 verse 19. Today I've given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey Him and commit yourself to Him for He is your life. This is not our religion. This is not our churchianity. This is our life. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey Him and commit yourself to Him for He is your life. Then you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then you just go over one more book and you get to Joshua. He's 110 years old and he's talking about serving. And he goes, so honour the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, but if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose who you will serve. Friends, we all serve somebody. It's not like if you don't serve God, you're free and you're off the hook. If you don't serve God, you become a slave to something else. It might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be relationship after relationship to fill that void that Kerry Packer talked about. The richest man in Australia said, I've got a black hole in my heart that nobody seems to know how to fill. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates 
Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. You know, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, they had to put memorials in the river. And they said, because later on your kids will ask you, what was that all about? I grew up in a church where the kids don't give a rip about what's happened in the past. It's changing now. And we're building generations that are going to look back and say, Pastor Tony, Pastor Kathy, what was that all about? How did you start that wonderful church called Victory that's now changing the world? Tell us about those memorial stones because this church is planting memorial stones. Tell us how those orphanages in India ended up getting all that help. You see, because right now in our church, and I'm pastoring the church I always wanted. It's taken 17 years to get there, but I'm telling you, I'm in love with our church. I'm in love with our church. You know something? We got kids that don't want to go to children's church because they don't want to miss out on church. We got kids that don't want to go on holidays with their parents because they want to be at church. I did not grow up in a church like that. I told everybody my dad was an Italian butcher. He was a pastor. All that salami I took to school. Yeah, my dad made it. I never told him he was a pastor. Every now and then I told them that he was a builder or he was a concreter because all Italians came sore and concreted. And so, you know, you, and so, I mean, you want to see cement? Go to my dad's place. If it can be cemented, let it be cemented. But Joshua says this, as for me and my house, he didn't say as for me and my wife. Because house talks about generations. Wife talks about one generation. As for me and my house. So how are we going to serve the Lord? I can say tonight, serve the Lord, everybody. How? Let me give you what I think has worked for me. Number one, choose to live a surrendered life. Number one, live a surrendered life. Matthew 6, 33, you all know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And as I was preparing this message, the Lord spoke into my heart. He said, Danny, a surrendered life will be an extended life. You see, we've been to hell and back as you know. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added I have an added life tonight, not a subtracted one. I've not seen anyone leave our church and say the church sucks and they go back into the world and they're happier than they used to be. They're not happier. Life doesn't bring any more joy. There's no mean. They go, oh, look, I, I thank God for the day I left the church. I thank God when I left Christianity. Now I've got meaning in my life. I came from a blob. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I'm going. What a wonderful thing to rejoice about. No different to an animal. No, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I remember in 1983 when God called me into the ministry and my relatives and my cousins, especially my Italian ones, I said, you'll never travel the world. You'll never have enough money. I can't wait to stay home now. And they're still cementing around Adelaide. (laughs) They're still driving the old ute. Some of them have still got their valiant. 
which is a good thing. I shouldn't tell you, but Jonathan's got one. Jonathan's got one. Live a surrendered life. What gets added to you when you live a surrendered life? A clean conscience, inner peace, a sense of fulfillment, and a sense of assignment. Just recently, I got to speak to a whole lot of millionaires on the Gold Coast. And I said to them, I'll only come and speak if you don't pay me. Because I don't want you to judge pastors as doing things for money. And so I'm speaking to 200 multi-millionaires on the Gold Coast. We, someone had to do it. It was at the Versace Hotel. And they did pay for me to stay there and eat there. So you've got to suffer for Jesus sometime. <laughs> Listen to me. None of them go to church. The speaker before me gets up and gets testimonies going from people who don't go to church. Lady gets up, she goes, my life changed when I realised that I've been put on the planet because I'm on assignment. And she goes, my life changed when I started giving 10% of my income away to things outside my own life. And I think, could you come and speak at our church? That'd be really good. I got up and spoke about the story of our family. I spoke about how to handle the storms of life to totally unchurched people. For three days, hour on the hour, I sat and counseled people who said to me, Danny, God's not the issue for us. We're just scared of the church. We're just scared of the church. But you know what's really sad? Is if the church lives a surrendered life, people soon will start to see that the church is beautiful and the church is what they need. Tonight, you want to make a wonderful choice? Live a surrendered life. Number two, live a life that's others-oriented. The more you live for self, and psychologists have just now come to the conclusion that the happiest people on the earth are the people that live for others, and the people that live for themselves are the most miserable. So about six weeks ago, on the ABC here in Adelaide, you've got to tell when do I stop? I won't, I won't go on forever, but listen. About six weeks ago, I'm driving here in Adelaide and on the ABC, they talk about who the happiest people in Adelaide are. They found that those that earn more than 150 grand a year were the most miserable. Those that live on 70 grand a year and less were the happiest. And so they said, I wonder why. And as they began to do the study they discovered that those that earn 70000 or less have got a little bit of spare time up their sleeve and they actually do things for others. Those that are earning so much are both working, husband and wife, double income, and they're tired when they get home and they're exhausted and they've you know, they got, got to keep up the payment on the BM and they've and they got to keep the payment up on the house and, and by the end of the day, they've just had it. And they said the happiest people in Adelaide are those that live for others. Well, that's what the Bible says. I mean, if there's a little bit of God in you and there's a little bit of God in me, then shouldn't the lesser be like the greater? Shouldn't we be a reflection of who he is? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The same psychologists that are saying, I'm going to use a really big word just so that some of you that have known me for years think that I've become more intelligent now. We become centripetal. 
we become centripetal, which means inward looking. It's one of the first signs of depression. And psychologists saying that even the animal kingdom, that the lowest form of life is those that just look after themselves. But even in the animal kingdom, those that look after their young when they're young, they're under attack and they go and protect their young. And it goes, the quality of life goes up when you start laying your life down. The same psychologists have no idea that the kenosis or God leaving heaven in Jesus and coming to earth is the greatest picture of that in the universe. And I want to thank the Lord tonight that's serving others. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Very quickly, number three, another wonderful choice is live strategically. In other words, let every pain that happens in your life turn into a purpose. Don't let the stuff that really gets up your nose, I'm Italian, I've got a big one, but you know, um, don't let the stuff that happens in life screw you up. Strategize how this can be used. When we started in 1994 at Ranella. Every time the children's department hit the wall because we ran out of rooms or the youth department would hit on, we would start to get all agitated. And the Holy Spirit said to me one day, why don't you take your stress and turn it into strategy? Can I say to you tonight, don't waste your stress. Turn it into strategy. Let God find a way for you in the midst of the pain. There's Joseph in prison for all those years for something he didn't do. And then one day his brothers find out after he's become prime minister of Egypt, his brothers find out who he really is and that he didn't die and they are freaking out. And he says, hey guys, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And then he says, can you go home and get dad? And can you go home and get my younger brother? And by the way, on the way home, don't argue. So you can give focus to your anger and it can screw up your life or you can live strategically. When the thing happened with our son, I could have just given up or said, God, what is your strategy? Now, my friends tonight, I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you the truth. God has opened up doors for me to help people with problems with their kids that would have never, ever, ever happened before in places in our community that I can't tell you publicly. Right now, Sharon and I are doing all our counseling with non-Christians. I'm counseling some of the richest people in the city. One couple who, while their marriage is just being absolutely ripped apart, not Christians, stops in the middle of the conversation Knowing what we've been through, they asked us for help and says, but on top of our marriage hitting the wall, I made a promise to the Childhood Cancer Foundation to help them renovate and to raise money amongst our rich friends and our lives are so stuffed we can't even help them. And I said, we'll fix it. Our church will fix it. And to cut a long story short, we were able to step in and build a relationship that I wish Jonathan had time to tell you tonight, the miracle after miracle where we were able to renovate four houses at Prospect where they house children getting cancer treatment. And we've been able to renovate those homes. (laughs) 
Why waste your pain? I was on the front lawn crying one day at the front of our house and I shared this with the men yesterday and I said, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. Trust you, but I don't understand. And I heard a little voice inside my head. And Danny, I trust you. Oh, God, you trust me? What do you trust me with, Lord? He said, I can trust you with pain. Yesterday, here, and probably the gentleman sitting here tonight, wherever you are tonight, I want to thank you. You blessed me. As I was about to leave here yesterday, a man came to me and said, Pastor Danny, thank you for suffering. Thank you for suffering because you're helping me in my suffering. We can take the tears that we cry and we can make them a river of refreshing for those that come after us. But you've got to make a choice in the good season. Live strategically. Live strategically. The next one is choose a life of forgiveness. And I'm going to probably finish with this one. The others can wait. Or I can just let you know what they are and you can write them down. But this is the one I want to really finish with. Choose a lifestyle of forgiveness. Don't have moments of forgiveness. Choose a lifestyle of forgiveness. When our situation happened, I started getting emails from Christians. Where was the prophetic gift on your life? If you're so good with the prophetic, how come God didn't show you what was going on? As if I needed that. I turned to my wife one day and I said, I don't like Christians anymore. Because the non-Christians and the politicians in this city were ringing me up. Now you've got to understand that before our situation happened, three years before it happened, or a, sorry, a year before it happened, we've got a, a pastor's conference up in the Adelaide Hills. David McCracken, who's a wonderful prophetic voice, speaks and he said, a big name in this nation is going to hit the wall. It's going to hit the wall really big time and it's going to shock the nations and the world. And then he looked down and he said, Danny, you're going to be part of this. I had no idea it was going to be my son. And he said, but the works that you've done in the community are going to come and vindicate you and speak on your behalf. I also see a building, a tall building that is not being used for conventional purposes. The same week that my son's story hit the papers, we moved into our Hindley Street movie theatres where we've got our city campus that Pastor John pastors. Next to the strip joints. The man is prophesying this. And I'm sitting there and when it all happened, he sent me a copy. He said, God told me to write that prophecy down because one day I'd have to send it to you. And he sent it to me. You see about... A short time before our son's brokenness became known to all of us, we had started a series in our church, Broken But Open. We'd started a series on how do we father a broken generation? How do we help people that are so broken feel the redemption of Jesus? I didn't know it was going to happen to my own life. But the compassion in my heart for the broken now is nothing, is, is amazing compared to where it used to be. There's no self righteousness left, I tell you. 
Thereby the grace of God. I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. But one of the things I had to watch myself in that time is not to get bitter. And you have to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. And I want to tell you, in Luke chapter 17, it says if you cause someone to stumble, you might as well tie a rope around your neck and jump into the sea. Danny's actions will hurt other people if they are wrong. But my reactions will hurt me because it says if your brother says forgive me, you've got to forgive him over and over and over again. And I remember reading Luke 17 one day and God said, Danny, your actions and your reactions will be the choices you'll have to make all through your life. If you make bad actions that hurt others, I'll hold you responsible. But your reactions to the things that have happened you can't control, you've got to keep a soft heart and a thick skin. She was only a young lady walking across Central Park. True story. One night coming home from work, she was thrown to the ground and brutally raped. She was so damaged that she lay there for quite a long time and then managed to crawl to the side of the road. When she got to the side of the road, she tried to hail down a car that was coming the, uh, in front of her with the lights on. As the car pulled up in front of her, the man gets out the car and it was the man that had just raped her. He proceeded to abuse her again. And for three months, she was in intensive care. She couldn't talk for a long time. And then one day the media came to interview her about this horrendous experience. They said to her, do you think you could ever forgive the man that did this to you? And she looked up and she goes, oh yes. You see, I forgave him that night when he did it to me. And they said, pardon? Really? She said, you see, he took one night of my life. I wasn't going to give him any more. He took one night of my life. I wasn't going to give him any more. There are people in this room that have been not treated real well in life in some areas. Some of you in this room are the victims of other people's choices. It might be a dad, it might be a mum, it might be a relative. Sometimes you go, Pastor Danny, I just can't let it go. They may have moved on, but you're still there because it's always there. Now, the feelings can't be taken away by us. You can't make those feelings go away. But we can make a choice not to give it oxygen and we can make a decision, God, I'm not going to visit that with my mouth. I'm going to honor and praise you and pray for them. Job's friends, I preached it this morning, Job's friends who gave him bad advice at the end of the chapter of the book, the last chapter of the book of Job. It says, and after Job prayed for his friends, God gave him back everything that he'd lost. I felt as I was praying that tonight it was going to be a moment and a place for some of you to be set free so you can get on with it. And live a lifestyle of forgiveness.
It's the only way Sharon and I. Do you know, the, the day everything hit the papers, I'm in uh, at a shopping centre, and I'm going to finish now, but I, was in, I want the musicians to come, please. But I'm in the shopping centre up at, at uh, Aberfoyle Park, and a lady comes running up to me with a bunch of flowers and says, I forgive you. And I thought, thanks. I didn't do it. Part of me wanted to take the flowers and hit them over her head. And part of me thought, well, she meant well. She meant well. But I'm Italian. And I like to get back. I like the fivefold ministry. Like every finger closed as a fist. Get back. I am so pastoral, but I'm so reactionary too. Because the same emotion that makes me hug everybody wants to also make me hit everybody. But it's a wonderful choice to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's a wonderful choice to live a surrendered life. Psalm to Jesus. I surrender. Oh, wrong key, sorry. Can you give me a key that works with my voice? No. Some to Jesus, I surrender. No, all to Jesus, I surrender. Live a surrendered life. You'll live an extended life. When the devil said to me, because of what your son's done, Your future is finished. I'm now getting the biggest invitations I've ever had in my life. Jonathan will tell you. I can't keep up with the diary. All over the world, people are still... And the devil said it. See, the place of accusation is also the place of revelation. God had put a dream. Don't you think God knew what I was going to go through before he called me into the ministry? He's not caught by surprise. I wouldn't have chosen me because we were going to go through that. But God, in his mercy is saying we need a church in the world that understands brokenness and understands the hurting. And this church is going to be filled with people that have been through divorce. This church is going to be filled with the broken. That's why it's a hospital for the sick. That's why people can come who have been through pain and been through those things that have broken their lives and not walk in and feel unsafe, but walk in and feel loved. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.